This episode of the Short Side Option Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manhattan Brewing Company. Manhattan Brewing Company is located at 406 Points Avenue in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. Quality, community, and education are Manhattan Brewing Company's three pillars, and we are super excited to have them back for their second year as the title sponsor of the Short Side Option Podcast. With nearly 20 years of collective experience in the craft beer industry, Jake, Adam, and Garrett are focused on brewing and serving high-quality craft beer in a family-friendly atmosphere in the heart of downtown Manhattan. Manhattan is their home, and they want to bring the best possible beer experience and education to the wonderful people of Manhattan, creating a place for everyone to come out and have a good time with friends and cultivate a craft beer culture that Manhattan can be proud of. On Thursday, September 15th, which is today if you're listening uh, on, on a Thursday here on the Short Side Option, it's time for Oktoberfest at Manhattan Brewing Company. The final downtown MHK third Thursdays is September 15th, and they are throwing an Oktoberfest celebration. They will be tapping a special cask of Fest beer on the patio to kick off the celebration. The streets of points will be shut down so you can walk around sipping on some delicious Fest beer while rocking out to the air guitar competition or checking out all the other third Thursday festivities. So bring your lederhosen and be ready for a party. Be sure to follow them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Manhattan Brewing and their website at www.mhkbeer.com to stay up on all the latest events at the brewery. Some great stuff going on there, and we're going to have uh, the guys on this week. Uh, it'll, it'll come out here next week, uh, but going to have the chance to chat with them on Friday uh, to, to catch up with them and uh, hear about all the other great things that they have going on at the brewery. Now it's time for Lou and I to look back at last week's 40-12 Kansas State victory over the Missouri Tigers and preview Saturday's matchup against the Tulane Green Wave. This is the short side option. to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's the icon, it's Lou, and we're back to review K-State's 40-12 victory over the Missouri Tigers last Saturday at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. It was a game uh, the Wildcats uh, really dominated here kind of uh, from the first quarter on and uh, were able to uh, keep Missouri out of the end zone until the final play of the game uh, where uh, the Tigers uh, got in the end zone in case they gave up their first touchdown of this young season. Uh, lasting pretty much two full games there, Dell. And the defense uh, and special teams both uh, made some big plays in this one. But, uh, you know, with the weather conditions, the offense uh, was efficient uh, before the rain and then even after the rain, too, uh, being able to uh, continue to put the ball in the end zone. Really, when you put all of the... Um, you know, all pieces of the game together, considering the circumstances, a really a pretty nice game for Kansas State in terms of uh, their level of play, and uh, they really had no trouble with Missouri Tigers on Saturday. Yeah, you see uh, K-State put up 40 points uh, in that game, and, and you think, wow, the offense had a great day, but really it was the defense, I think, that was the story of the day, and um, just... I mean, it became laughable there at parts of the game in the third quarter, especially when when they were throwing all those interceptions. But credit to K-State, just absolutely um, stifled what I think 
uh, coming into the game, I definitely thought that this Missouri offense had some firepower behind it. In coming out of the game, I I think they probably still do it somewhere in there, but uh, they certainly did it on Saturday. K State, uh, all three levels: the defensive line, linebackers were on point, the secondary, of course, with the interceptions, uh, putting it all together and just absolutely uh, dominating uh, the Missouri Tigers on Saturday. Uh, and offensively, did enough uh, to put up 40 points. And uh, this game was pretty well in hand by the time uh, the clock struck halftime. You know, it sure was. And we'll, we'll get into all the ins and the outs of the Missouri game. And, of course, look ahead to uh, the Wildcats Week 3 opponent, the uh, Tulane Green Wave. But first... I uh, want to make a quick announcement on here. Uh, last week, if you follow follow us along on uh, TSSO underscore podcast on Twitter, you saw that we had some issues with uh, getting our, our feed uploaded, or our show uploaded, rather, uh, to uh, Apple Podcasts. So for our Apple Podcast listeners, we apologize. Uh, you know, I, I had been back and forth with Apple. They, they are working diligently to correct this. They, they profusely apologized to me uh, several times. So we're... we're we're moving forward in the right direction, but for the folks at Apple, we, we hope that we hope and we pray this doesn't happen again. Yeah, it's been a we have it on good authority that it's been a round the clock effort out there in California. So um, trying to make sure that they get uh, this week's podcast uploaded properly. And I trust that the boys out west will uh, take care of us. This yeah. Week. So folks, if if you're listening to us normally on Apple Podcasts, it might not be a, the worst thing in the world to uh, maybe download Spotify as well, uh, just so you're covered. All bases are covered there. That's right. You, you want to be prepared there. So uh, hope, hope that we don't run into those technical issues, but for those that, uh, that uh, were, were hanging with us, uh, we appreciate it here last week. So let's go ahead and get into the Missouri game. Let's get right into it. Um, Mizzou kind of takes it down there on the first drive, and you and me were texting a little bit through the game, you know, uh, as as we we're you know watching what was taking place on that first drive, and the thing that really stuck stuck out to both of us is like, hey, this Missouri quarterback run game is something they're leaning on here awful early. Yeah, I uh, that was very surprising. The you know some I was designed runs for Brady Cook early on, but then just yeah. him scrambling. You and, know, and he and I think I mentioned last week in, in my little you know rundown of him, mean, he's a little bit of a better athlete than maybe he gets credit for. And, I mean, he's a pretty big guy. I mean, he's probably, what, 6'4", like 220. So he's big enough, you know, and has enough uh, moves. He made Josh uh, Hayes miss on that one where he – on the rollout. Uh, Josh Hayes, I thought, played a really good game uh, outside of that one little play. But uh, they really did lean on that running game. And uh, I was wondering, hey, if if this is going to be the game plan all day, I don't know how much Brady Cook we're going to see here into the third and fourth quarter. But Yeah, uh, he – he was kind of yoloing there in the first in the, on that first drive. Took one particularly brutal hit when he left his feet and got slammed into the ground by I believe Brents. Yeah, and uh, and Daniel Green was in there too. Yeah. so I mean some guys that were were flying around out there. So a bold strategy that really uh, they paid that debt later in the game. I thought because it was clear that he later on in the game those hits had started kind of accumulating on him. And he wasn't quite right. We saw Abraham come in um, and throw a pair of interceptions because Cook just wasn't uh, operating with a full deck there uh, once the third quarter rolled around. And uh, But anyway, that was really the 
most effective offense Missouri had all day. Yep. Um, and, and so a couple miscues by the K-State defense there on the first drive, which, which of course, led to Mizzou getting their uh, long field goal there on the first drive. Yep. But then uh, after that, the K-State defense pretty much took over the game. You know, and the, the one thing I'll say as we kind of even look ahead to Tulane here, Michael Pratt, he, he's the, the Tulane quarterback, a little bit more of a dual threat, like of a traditional kind of dual threat where he's more comfortable running the ball. I think last year he had 120-ish uh, carries. So, you know, with what you saw maybe from Missouri early on, uh, that might be someplace where Tulane goes too with, with the quarterback running game. Uh, it Maybe not as leaned on as heavily, but in some spots. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we roll around to Tulane. But I, I do think that there are some similarities there between the Missouri offense and the Tulane offense that uh, K-State should be a little bit familiar with uh, having just played a similar offense. But um, what is there to say about the defense? I mean, yeah, let's lead off with the defense here before we get much into the offense. Um, you know, playing all of 120 minutes before you give up your first touchdown of the season, uh, pretty darn impressive. Uh, and, you know, Missouri, that first couple, that first drive where they got down there, the, the offense was looking pretty good. But we talked so much about Luther Burden going in the game. Uh, you know, he was really a non-factor uh, on Saturday. They, they weren't able to get much going in, in the way of the pass game, uh, as we noted with the four interceptions when they did try getting something going uh, down the field. But this K-State defense, getting it done really at all levels. You see the, the play in the secondary. Of course, we mentioned the four interceptions. Two of those by linebackers uh, there with Daniel Green and uh, Allen there with the other one. Uh, but another guy that I want to kind of even lead off with, which, you know, normally you think, okay, you're going to be leading off with Echo Boido, Julius Prince, Daniel Green, Felix Duque is on with someone on the defensive line. How about Austin Moore? That guy continues to, to really uh, show, show up in a big way. And uh, I thought on Saturday, uh, in, in probably his first big test, I mean, obviously as a starter, against a, you know an SEC team, uh, I thought he played really well out there and, and was given good pressure throughout the day and being very sound. Yeah, I mean, I kind of liken Austin Moore's season so far to kind of what we saw at Cody Fletcher last year. Uh, a guy that coming into the season, well, I mean, the, the scenarios were a little different because we didn't know that Austin Moore was going to be a starter for K-State until uh, late in the week before the first game. But a guy who plays a linebacker position, K-State fans kind of hold our nose a little bit and say, kind of hope for the best. Uh, but through two games, Austin Moore has been just fine back there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that doesn't mean everything's rosy with a linebacker core right now because at the end of the day, K-State's still very thin. Sure. Um, sure. Austin, you'd rather have a dependable guy like Austin Moore be a depth if you can afford it. But um, so far through two games, I thought I think Austin Moore has done a great job and and played his role perfectly. You know, he, uh, Daniel Green with seven tackles, Austin Moore with six. Really strong play out of that linebacking core. And you knew that Missouri was going to do what they typically seem to do with their offense, M- more east and west uh, at times than, than north and south with getting the ball out quickly, whether if it's in the screen game or whether if it's just in the swing game, uh, getting either the running back or a wide receiver coming around there. 
so I thought that was going to be a challenge for those linebackers. And that's something we talked about last week. Uh, but conditions obviously played a big factor in that. And I think that's something that maybe when you look at the K-State passing game, and which we'll, we'll get into here in a little bit, Really dictated, obviously, if you were there, you, you saw uh, the conditions. Yeah. Were, whether if you were there or if you were watching on TV, you could easily tell it was a. It, it really took uh, probably what Missouri wanted to do offensively kind of off the table. Yeah, and on the, that, that's true. On the other hand, uh, a lot of credit has to be given to uh, K-State in going out there and stopping what Missouri ended up having to do. I mean, you talked about the East-West uh, running game that the Missouri likes to do, and um, really, I think that is probably the biggest story of the day for the K State defense, aside from the the turnovers, is the way that the the K State defense handled that wide uh, running game, and that's a, a couple people deserve credit there. Number one, I think it's the defensive ends getting upfield and, and really stringing those runs back farther into the backfield, and they typically want to go wide in that loop they need to make um and I, I saw Felix and Duke and uh and Nate Matlack get up the field on several plays and and really just push that run out farther and then that's only part of it because then you need somebody to actually to come in and clean it up and most of the time on Saturday it seemed like that was Hayes yeah and I thought he had a, a fantastic game on Saturday his debut for Kansas State and um and so, huge credit to, yes, it was rainy conditions, but uh, the defense stepped up and, and took care of the Missouri ground game fairly easily. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about Josh Hayes, uh, a guy that's in his sixth year playing college football, uh, spent plenty of time uh, at North Dakota State, and that's kind of how the fam- familiarity with this coaching staff uh, and why K-State was, was ultimately his uh, destination here. But a guy that played at Virginia uh, here previously as well, so he's played some Power Five football. But in his debut, uh, that's really what you see, you know, from a guy that's played six years of college football. Trust his eyes, trust his keys, reading those down, coming downhill, and really filling those run lanes out in the alley. Uh, he was uh, the the one play that he he missed was I think it was on the second play of the game. Yeah. When when Cook was able to get outside of him. Uh, but other than that, he was rock solid and uh, had had several plays that uh, you know were tackles for losses and sure tackles. So you love seeing that from a guy that is going to be counted on as as one the most experienced guy uh, in in the safety positions in the three safety positions for K State. Uh, so having him come out there and having such a solid debut uh, really can give you a little bit more confidence about that group of safeties going forward. Absolutely, and, and it's, it's great to see him kind of supple, not only supplement the depth at the safety spot, but really excel and be a leader out there on the field and somebody that uh, the K-State defense can count on in the back end. And while we're on the secondary, I, I want to talk about Julius Brents a little bit because his progression over the last two years has been outstanding. I mean, early on last season, uh, granted it was – Fairly early on. It was after uh, Stanford and Southern Illinois. And just kind of after those first few games of the season, we heard all about this all-world cornerback, Julius Prince, who's surefire NFL player. Some days got a great frame, all this. But in those first few games, we had a little bit of a criticism on him, and it was that he looked a little soft out there. Looked like Tarzan played like Jane a little bit. 
and maybe that was unfair, maybe it was small sample size, but what's clear to me um, so far, and what's, what's really blown me away about Julius Brents in this young season, is that he is an, an absolutely physical cornerback at this point. I mean, he lays the wood like he's TJ Smith out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked a little bit about the hit on Cook earlier, but just that that's a guy that is one of the surest tacklers on the defense right now, I think. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that we, we talked a lot about how confident we were in our corners. Um, and through two games, I, I am not backing down from that at all. They've, they've been absolutely nails. Of course, echo, but Julius Brent stepping up and, and looking like an NFL player is, uh, a welcome sight. You know, and I, I was listening to a climate's, press conference, uh, his midweek press conference, and he, he brought up something that was a little bit, uh, I, I thought, an interesting comment that, you know, typically they would have uh, Brents on the ba- as the boundary corner and then Echo uh, on the field side. But this year they seem to be rotating them a little bit more so that one's not just on one side of the field at all times and one's not on the other side of the field, you know, uh, in that boundary, in that field, um, I guess, role or designation all the time and that's because they they feel like sometimes you know you want uh that you want julius's length um out there on the field side at sometimes and then on on closer to the boundary you know if, if a team's going to maybe run it into the boundary you maybe sometimes you want his his ability to come up and make a play there right uh in in, in run um in run stuffing there so i think that with k-state's cornerback play we felt very good about that coming into the season. I thought we felt maybe a little bit better about that play in terms of how we perceived it as saying, like, these guys are really more just cover guys. I mean, these guys are, are, are fine tacklers, but really their their best trait is stopping, you know, in zone coverage and in man coverage, uh, taking, taking away what they want to do offensively. I don't think we sold them obviously high enough as what they've done in terms of being complete quarterbacks. Yeah, and I think we through two games so far, I think you've definitely seen that transformation. Yeah, and, and again, it's it's important to kind of caution this with okay South Dakota and Missouri in a monsoon, but um, for two games, I, they're probably it, it's hard to grade a, a any unit on the defense higher than the corners so far. Um, Although, take your pick. Yeah. <laughs> They've all been nails. Uh, but the cornerback play has been lights out. Um, you know, I, a world-class level of college football cornerbacking through two games. You know, one guy I want to mention, too, and this is maybe my my uh, favorite kind of, call it unsung hero, maybe under the radar. I, I wouldn't say unsung hero because I don't think he has quite got enough run yet, but so Sam Olive again flashing in in uh, in his time. That's a guy that I think going into the season I thought maybe a potential redshirt guy um, before before the season started. I don't think that's going to be the case. And also Robert Hintz I thought played a really good game at the defensive tackle. His position. best game is at K State. Yeah, and you know Climbing in his his press conference said you know the biggest thing for him is last year he just wasn't healthy. This year coming into to the season in in a lot better. Uh, physical health, uh, and I thought you saw him play maybe his best game, as you said, as a K-State uh, Wildcat. And, 
you know, that was a little bit of a concern too because Eli Huggins, you know what you're going to get there. All-conference uh, caliber play at that defensive tackle position. You have now two two or three guys in that mix that you feel really good about. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'm not quite where you are with Usose Malu yet, but um, I, I definitely think that Huggins and Hints so far, and maybe I just need to see more out of him, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but, what else do you need to see? He's Warren Sack. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I thought Hints was excellent. Huggins, after a kind of a leaky first drive there with the, a missed tackle and uh, the offsides on fourth down, uh, he really buttoned it up the rest of the game. In, in particular, he did a great job on a screen pass where he, he sniffed it out and, and, and the nose tackle getting outside to uh, stop a screen pass is something you don't see a lot. But, um, yeah, when you look at the defensive line coming into the year, you thought, okay, we're confident in Matt Lack and Felix. We're confident we're going to have the pass rushers. We just need that big body inside to, to eat up blockers and to the extent he can create a little havoc. Um, and so we saw that on, on, on Saturday for sure in the middle with uh, Huggins, Hintz, and, of course, Usa. One other thing I want to mention, K-State had 10 tackles for loss on Saturday. Missouri ran the ball 35 times, so nearly a fourth of those plays, or over a fourth of those plays, uh, getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage of, of run plays. Now, of course, in, in the passing game, they do swing it out, so that technically goes as a pass when they you know, swing it out and we, we get a tackle for loss. But really good success right there uh, in terms of what K-State's being able to do uh, in terms of stopping guys uh, behind the line of scrimmage. One play I want to mention, and it was on that first drive, uh, third and two, third and one uh, for Missouri. And they run up the middle, and uh, and uh, um, Austin Moore, sorry, I was yep. blanking there, makes the, uh, makes the play, forces the field goal. And uh, at that point, you know, you look at what – what that drive was looking out looking like, Missouri's, Missouri's able to move the ball down the field pretty effectively, but that play really uh, changes that, makes them kick a long field goal. Yeah, and you know the those first few drives on Saturday, we, we spent a lot of time talking about it, but those were the really the most important drives of the game, I think. Yeah, um, not only because conditions were the score was close, yeah. but because after that rain kicked in, it was tough sledding for for both offenses. And so, um, obviously, tougher sledding for one than the other. But, um, you know, being able to stop Missouri, that critical part of the game, uh, was enormous. And holding them to a field goal, even after a couple, you know, mental mistakes there on the first drive, was huge. And it's a credit to Austin Morgan. Anything else you want to cover on the defense before we switch it over to the offensive side of the ball? No, but the mob is back. Never left. Always has been. Always. Always has been, always will be. Uh, let's look at the defense, or at the offense, rather. The first two drives, K-State able to get touchdowns. Uh, a little bit of running, a little bit of passing in there, uh, a little bit of, you know, really kind of what I think is going to be maybe the the biggest stretch here for K-State, or the biggest strength of K-State here, is that really kind of that run-pass game with Adrian Martinez, I, I love seeing that one that he had to Brooks on that second drive. Uh, the little uh, kind of play action, 
lean into lean into the uh, lean into the line a little bit for Adrian Martinez and and hits uh, and hits uh, Philip Brooks there uh, on a slant. I think that could be a, a go-to play for K State here throughout the uh, throughout the season. Yeah, and you know I, I watched that play at the time. I I thought, oh, it's a play action. And uh, when I went back and watched it a few times again, I think it was actually an RPO. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know he ran that because that that play's interesting because I believe it's it's truly a power a, a quarterback power where you have guys pulling uh, from one side to the other, but not breaking downfield and, and getting upfield. Um, and earlier in the drive that, or maybe the previous drive, I, I can't remember, but elsewhere in the game, you saw Martinez hold the ball and actually just commit to the, the power run there and him having the presence of mind to see that he had uh, Brooks there uh, was great. And it's a great play design. And I think that's going to be a, um, kind of thematic of, of K-State's offense a lot this year. When you have those threats in the backfield, this offense screams for RPO. And so it's nice to see Klein kind of include that wrinkle and, and have everybody on the same page there. Um, and Missouri on Saturday, you saw them running a lot of man coverage. Mm-hmm. And yep. that's a, I think that's going to be kind of rare this season. And really it's kind of... You just don't see that much straight-up man-to-man coverage anymore in the college game, it seems like. It seems like everything's just kind of zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, kind of gave K-State some fits on Saturday. You saw K-State really, in credit to KSU fan who does his breakdowns and all this, and so I'm, I'm plagiarizing him to some degree. But you saw K-State run a lot of these rub concepts on Saturday where, you know, not quite pick plays, but kind of. When, when you're on defense, they're pick plays. When you're on offense, they're rub plays. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, K-State wasn't exactly sharp there. Uh, Cade Warner, uh, a few times on Saturday, either missed his rub route uh, or pick or whatever you want to call it. Other, you know, on the, the big play to, was it, it was Deuce, mm-hmm. uh, where he gets called for the OPI. And so it's a, that was a, Game plan that makes a lot of sense given the man coverage, but um, I don't know how much of those concepts we're going to see moving forward. Only because I don't know how much zone or how much man to man we're going to see, and uh, whether teams try to implement that for whatever reason, whether it's because we got to have a guy devoted to deuce, two guys devoted to deuce, whatever, um, we'll we'll see. But. Uh, as far as K-State's passing game goes on Saturday, trying to implement some of that man-to-man uh, scheme, uh, left a little, not, not exactly sharp there uh, from the K-State passing offense. Yeah, and you know, I think there's all the talk about what K-State's going to be able to do passing the ball. I mean, Adrian Martinez, you know, I, I don't think he threw for 100 yards uh, or maybe just barely over 100 yards uh, this week. But, you know, the the... The conditions obviously lend a huge factor into that, and at, at that point, you know, you didn't want to necessarily do anything to, to jeopardize uh, turning the ball over because case it was able to have a lot of success on the ground. Uh, you know, you look at Deuce Vaughn uh, with his with his day. You know, it, it's it's about what I expected: 145 yards, two touchdowns. Another day at the office. Another day at the office for Deuce Vaughn, and you know, I I. I, one thing I like, kind of like doing is is I, I put out my 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 morning afterthoughts here, and I 
would love to start seeing him get it's a little early in the season still, right? You know, before everyone starts putting together their top five list for the Heisman Trophy. But, you know, the next couple of weeks, I, I think he's got a great chance to really get into that conversation uh, with, with where he's at. I think I looked it up yesterday. In terms of what he's doing, I think he's like the seventh leading rusher in the country right now. And he's got a big game, obviously, this week against Tulane, where he, I, I expect him to go well over 100 yards. And then uh, you look ahead into the conference season uh, with, with a big game here to start off with Oklahoma. But we're not going to get into that yet because it's one game at a time. Yeah, we play the most important game of the season this week. Yep, that's yeah, right. It's the next one. It's 12 one-game seasons. That's right. And uh, that's what it's all about. But in terms of what he does, uh, and you saw it again with his uh, ability as, as a lead blocker uh, on Adrian yep. Martinez's run uh, down into that uh, north end zone, uh, a, a big convoy leading the way. I don't think Adrian Martinez was, was touched much uh, going into that one uh, when he ran in from about 20 yards out. But well, when you have when you have Gillum and BB polling in Deuce out there as well, you, you don't expect Deuce to be the guy who comes up with the key block there to, to really get him home. Uh, but yeah, second weekend in a row, Deuce has had a pancake block downfield. You know, this is a uh, an offense that I think this week against Tulane is going to be able to showcase a little bit more in the past game. I, I looked at the weather conditions. It's going to be hot out there. going to be 92 uh, is at least the forecast now. No rain in the forecast. Uh, so I think this will be a great opportunity to for K-State to, to open up that passing game a little bit uh, against a Tulane team that defensively ha- has been – not necessarily the best. They did have a little bit better success here in the, in the later half of the year, which we'll get to. But uh, in terms of what you saw in those first two drives where K-State was able uh, to get in the end zone before uh, the torrential downpour started, you know, what I thought was it was efficiency in the running game and then some some timely passing plays, uh, whether if it's with Phillip Brooks, uh you know, on, on that little RPO action. And then another one to Malik Knowles on about a third and eight where he, he kind of button hooks inside there in the soft zone yeah. coverage. And, and Adrian Martinez is able to hit him perfectly. Uh, efficiency in the running game. And then some clutch, uh, you know, third, second and third down conversions there uh, throughout is why Casey was able to get in the end zone. Yeah, that uh, that third down conversion, that third and eight you just brought up, that, that was big play. I mean, that's K-State's first drive. You, you really – it would be a little tense if, if K-State goes up, gives up a field goal, and then it's punting the ball right back to Missouri with a chance to extend the lead. And so that uh, that pass to Malik Knowles was very well done. It was clean and uh, big play. You know, one thing about the offense and particularly the play calling, there, there's one play I want to talk about a little bit, and that was that double pass uh, attempt where they threw it to Warner. Yeah. I mean, this is a, uh, what, like a third down and two, third yeah, and one? Yeah, it was, it was third short, I believe. On about the 21-yard yeah, line? Yeah, right either outside the red zone or right at the at the front door of it. What are we doing? Why are we doing that? Yeah, I think we exchanged some text messages. I was saying, I like the play call, but I don't like it that close in. Not, not on third down. There, I don't mind it on third down even. I just don't really like where we are on the field for that one. That situation did not warrant the call. And that's what, that's a play where you get the first down stupid. And it, I don't care if it takes you two plays. You, you smash the ball 
and get the first down. A lot can go wrong on that double pass. You're throwing it behind the line of scrimmage. It's, you know, not exactly dry conditions out there. Now, it wasn't pouring yet, but uh, that ball slips out of Warner's hands, goes out of bounds, you know, best case scenario. Then uh, K-State's looking at a fourth and five, fourth and six. Um, and then you, you have to try out the field goal team. And, and oh, prayed for the best. Yeah. Um, you know, Missouri had it covered, and if they hadn't had it covered, I would still be here saying the stupid play call. And what do we do on the next play? We run a quarterback power, and Adrian Martinez moonwalks into the end zone. Yeah. And so that was just Klein being a little too cute, I think. And, you know, maybe just getting a little too ahead of himself. But in that scenario, get the dang first down. Just figure out a way to do it. You heard it here first, folks. D'Lo calling uh, Kansas State icon and uh, Ring of Honor uh, member Colin Klein stupid. Cannon. There you go. Only only here on the short side option do you hear st- stuff like that. Yep. So uh, I, I don't mind the play call. I don't like where I, I you need to have a little bit more space to run that. I but, feel but like. that's the point. I mean yeah. it's you're you're down there close to the close to the little little too cute. I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. You I, know if it's a second and four on the forty five or something, go nuts. Yeah. But uh third and one, your odds of scoring there are pretty high anyway. Just don't screw it up. So uh, that's, you know, Colin Klein's only been the offense coordinator for three games now. Yep. Um, and that's really my first time he's done anything where I've really raised an eyebrow and said, what are you doing? Like, that's not smart. Let's call smart well, plays. You know, what about if he was going to maybe pull out that uh, – that uh, two point conversion against Miami, where we go behind the, the back, yeah, yeah, that that would have been maybe a little bit more my speed. You know, I wouldn't have even hated that on fourth down. Like, if, if you want to roll the dice a little bit and get a little crazy and say this is probably going to work on fourth down, then by all means. But third down, it's this it seems like an unnecessary risk. If uh, got two downs to get the to move the chains on the on about the twenty yard line. You know, K-State had a little bit... I'm going to go back to the defense. There's not much I really want to talk about offensively. I thought the offensive line played great, uh, again, with the conditions. You know, K-State, I mean, they roll up 235 yards on the ground. Against what I think is a pretty good defensive line, too. I mean, yes, and that's not for nothing, too. And You have to take into account, you know, they know you're going to be running the ball. I mean, and for us to still have that success with Deuce Vaughn, in the run game, I mean, he he. There were a couple runs that he made that he he left people grasping for air. Uh, yeah. On, on Saturday, and uh, you know, with that situation, you saw Missouri. Uh, you mentioned that they played a lot of cover zero, and where they said, you know, we're going to love the box with seven or eight, and you know, it, they made that change a little bit. They made that adjustment probably a little, honestly, a little too late. I don't think it matters one way or the other in that game. But uh, even with those those stack boxes, K State doesn't want to turn the ball over with the conditions by by putting the ball too much in the air. K State was still able to have success running the ball. So I mean, when when the opposition knows what you're going to try doing offensively, and K State's still able to run the ball for about five and a half yards of carry, um, you know that that's a big credit to quarterback and running back in the run game, but more importantly, the offensive line. And you know, with Hadley Panzer getting his first start at the um, at the um, at the at the offensive guard position, 
you also look at things, too, and I it, uh, refer back to uh, Chris Kleiman's press conference. They didn't do as much rotating as they would like to do offense on the offensive line, and even with other guys in, in the running game. DJ Giddens only got two carries, but got in the end zone again here in his second game as a Wildcat. But uh, Kleiman mentioned, hey, you know, with it being rainy and cold and then, you know, the starting and stopping – it's tough to get those guys to be in there just when they're coming in cold necessarily as you would normally. They'd like to get more guys in. But uh, this this offensive line with with the loss of Taylor Portier really acquitted themselves very well. And I thought I thought they would, and, and they probably exceeded my expectations with what they were able to do on the ground. Yeah, they uh, they steamrolled in the running game, which is which is definitely what we want to see. Credit to Missouri. They, I think Missouri's pass rush uh, did a pretty good job of – getting into the backfield and making things a little uncomfortable for Adrian Martinez, but uh, also credit to Adrian Martinez, who kind of, you know, he, he did not have a big day throwing the ball by any stretch, but I thought he was able to showcase some of his uh, pocket presence. And, yeah, and you know, one thing that I really like with what he did is he is keeping the ball secure when he's getting out, uh, out of, outside the pocket, but keeping his eyes downfield, that one throw to Brooks that was right towards the K-State sideline, I think it was on the first drive of the game, it, I thought he had it, but they, they reviewed it yeah. and incomplete there. But keeping his eyes downfield, uh, and, keep, and one, also putting the ball in good spots. There was one that he was rolling again, I think it was maybe on the second drive, where Passed maybe a little bit behind Phillip Brooks, but he's got to make that catch. Hits him in the hands. Yeah, he, he's got to make that catch. Uh, you saw what he was doing with the ball uh, outside the pocket on his scrambles. Keeping those eyes up, not necessarily you know just saying, I'm going to take what I can get on the ground. and Because you know you get the quarterback out in the open field, sometimes that's where, where fumbles occur. And uh, getting, getting uh, linebackers and, and safeties coming down on him. Thought he looked good uh, getting the ball out there, and uh, I really look forward to this week because I think you're going to be able to see, you know, those concerns about the K-State passing game that we had week one. Didn't really have a chance to get those answered in week two. Uh, I think week three is uh, going to be a good test there. I and Frankly, I hope it's not. I hope K-State can go out there and rack up 300 yards, you know, rushing in the first 35 minutes of the game and and uh, salt the game away on the ground. Uh, so I won't I won't be too disappointed if K State goes gets a, another 30 point win and uh, we're, we still have questions about the passing game going into Oklahoma because K that's a luxury that K State hasn't really been in a situation through the first three games where they've really uh, needed to rely on anything other than the sure legs of Deuce Vaughn, but. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it's a good conditions. If if K State uh, throws, you know, is, is still operating at fifty percent passing uh, for around a hundred yards next week, then people are still going to have questions. But nonetheless, I wouldn't be too disappointed if Oklahoma uh, is preparing for K State without much of a much to go on in terms of what K State's passing attack looks like. Anything else you want to add on the offense? One more thing, and that's, uh, I, I talked about it just a second ago, but it's uh, Adrian Martinez's pocket presence. Because that's something that I think is taken for granted, and it really shouldn't be. Because for three, four years, we had Skylar Thompson back there, who had a capable arm, he could run the football great. Um, but 
the bag on him, at least earlier on in his career, is that he's a fainting goat out there. That he uh, just does not know how to handle pressure in the pocket. And he'll take too many sacks and make stupid decisions. But I think Adrian Martinez is, uh, while he hasn't completed a ton of passes, he looks confident in the pocket. He, he looks like a guy who, when he's pressured, he's not panicking. He's he's not doing those things that, you know, everybody kind of assumed uh, was his real uh, bugaboo, and that's freaking out and turning the ball over. Now, he had a fumble on Saturday, but and luckily it came back uh, to K-State. Good bounce. But uh, back in the pocket back there, even when he's under pressure, which he was on Saturday— I think he's done a good job of, of handling it well and keeping his eyes downfield and running it when it's appropriate and hasn't really done anything uh, back there that, you know, terrifies you as a fan uh, when a quarterback's under pressure. You know, you're absolutely right, and there are a couple of occasions I can point to two or three plays where, you know, he's almost you almost feel like he's holding on the ball too long. Like you're saying, oh, you know, the guys are the opposition's breathing down on you, you know, just just get it into the bench and uh, we'll we'll punt or we'll go to third down here or whatever the case might be. But keeping his eyes uh, up, you know, he was able to escape out of the pocket that one time to uh, to to get that first down uh, on that drive, uh, running it over to the Missouri sideline. Great, great, uh, great presence there, and uh, that is a, a really a welcome sign here, probably not only for him but also for KC <clears throat> fans that, that that's uh, a part of his game that he's really improved upon. Yeah, had the one play on Saturday that, frankly, I thought was going to get called for grounding, um, where he scrambles around a little bit and launches it into the west sideline, uh, probably ended up being about a forty-yard pass in the air uh, to the sideline, but otherwise, I think he's done a pretty good job back there and uh you know from what we can tell in the passing game uh I think he's looked pretty comfortable absolutely well wanted to also touch on special teams Chris Tennant misses another field goal and uh but Philip Brooks and a PAT and a PAT uh but those are putts those are putts uh, but uh, those are those are putts you have to make. <laughs> sort of give me putt. And you got to make your PATs. Absolutely, but for for Philip Brooks, his fourth career punt return for a touchdown, uh, moving up the K State uh, record book ranks in that regard. You know, on that punt return, I'll go back to Kleiman's press conference. Desmond Purnell with the big block on that one. Sealing uh, their their guy, the Missouri guy, off. He blocked him. If you go back and watch it, blocked him the entirety of the entire play, and, and really helps pave the way there for for Philip Brooks to take it to the house. Because honestly, once he got to the sideline, nobody around him, and it yeah. was it was as easy of a punt return as you can get. I don't know if K State's going to be able to get a third straight uh, week of a special teams touchdown, but uh, you'd be kind of hard pressed to bet against them right now because their defense is up one, giving them a lot of chances to get those punt returns. Uh, so this this uh, what, with what K State's doing special teams wise, you've got a lot of guys on there that are just really doing their job to be able to help Philip Brooks be able to have those easy touchdowns. Uh, those touchdowns are are really made uh, are really a product of the other ten guys out there. Uh, you know, Philip Brooks. Uh, I think he might say that that one was his easiest one he's had at K-State. 
but actually, maybe that's one of those ones against KU back in 2020. Might have been a little bit easier. Yeah, half of uh, his punt returns came in. Uh, one game. Well, actually, about five minutes yeah. uh, of game time there. But, you know, really with what uh, K-State's able to do on the special teams, that's another great uh, threat to have. Uh, and it's something that the standard at K-State has been set to where uh, that, that's, a, that's a place where we're going to win at uh, is on special teams. Yep, Phillip Brooks now tied for second in K-State's all-time punt return uh, record books, which is a credit to him because that's a, that's a good company he's sharing now. I believe he's tied with Aaron Lockett uh, on the all-time punt return list for Kansas State. Of course, David Allen, I believe, is number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll, uh, that'll be something to watch the rest of the season, um, see if uh, Phillip Brooks can keep ascending uh, in the record books for uh, this great punt return history here at Kansas State. Uh, Chris Tennant, let's, let's talk about it. Let's, uh, yeah, it's, it's becoming an issue. Yeah. And it's it's one that can be solved if uh, he starts making some field goals. <laughs> yeah, if he just starts making his kicks, it can be solved really easily. Just, you know, if you can make the ones inside 40 yards, make the PATs, and if their coin flips beyond 40 yards, that's something we can live with. And you know what? You saw it last year with climbing. I don't think he has. I think he made a comment. I can't remember after which game it was, but I think he made the comment some somewhere along the time line last season that if it was like if it's fourth and five, and I mean this is with when K State last year was kind of going through some kicker issues with with Chris Tennant just kind of ascending into the to the starting kicker position. Uh, he said with Skylar Thompson, Deuce Vaughn, fourth and five, I'm going to go for it, and. There were times last year, I mean, you think about that game against West Virginia. Now, granted, that was a, it was not in field goal range, but it was like fourth and eight. And they, they hit the pass of Sammy Wheeler down the, down the seam. I don't think Kleiman has any reservation about being aggressive on fourth down going for it, uh, especially on fourth, two, fourth and two, fourth and three, with, with what K-State's able to do running the ball. I don't think he bats an eye at that. And I'll be interested to see in, in games where – you know, the situation calls for it on, on fourth and two at the 28. Then this might be a situation where K-State is going for it more often than not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and really, unless you have a really good college field goal kicker, it's probably the right move. Yeah. I mean, probably 45 yarder is no joke. No. Um, and with Chris Tennant, it's certainly not a joke, uh, given his performance through the first two games. But uh, something to keep an eye on to see kind of what K-State's philosophy is. A lot of people talking about kicking long field goals this week with the uh, Monday night game. Yeah. But uh, it's it's a concern at this point. I After the first week, I thought, ah, cold shakers are weird. Maybe he's the head case, man. But and he'll get figured out. And that possibility still exists. But we now have two games of Chris Tennant uh Flat out struggling. I mean, the the K State uh, had I for, I forgot what the total points were from the four interceptions, but I think K State had three interceptions in Missouri territory at one point and came away with three points. Yeah, they had, they had two. He missed a field goal, got a field goal, and then I think on the ne- on the next one we we were able to punch him for a touchdown. Deuce Vaughn's long touchdown. 
Uh, but no, you're, you're, you want to make those guys pay, especially because when those turnovers were, were deep inside K-State territory, really. Uh, well, not deep inside, but we were getting the ball, you know, 30, 40 yard line uh, going in. Yeah, you want to come away with seven there. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the red zone scoring percentage for K-State uh, is a little concerning, I think, at this point. Um, you know, we, t- we talked about questions around the pass game, but when you get inside the 20, you have to be, uh, you have to be coming away with points. Well, let's go ahead, and is there anything else you want to add nope. here on the Missouri nope. game? I'm done with Missouri. Uh, huge win. Huge win. And, you know, I want to say, too, it's a bummer that the weather was what it was because it had the opportunity to be, you know, an all-time attendance record for K-State, at least in the top five. And, of course, after after the, uh, the, the delay, I'd say you probably had – you know, 20 to, I'd say probably close to about 40% uh, of folks maybe head for the hills there on that one. But uh, still a good good environment uh, throughout and uh, would have loved to have it be sunny in 75, but uh, unfortunately those weren't the conditions, but a great win for K-State. Uh, in terms of as satisfying of a win as you could ask for, would have yeah. been great to keep them out of the end zone there at the end. But uh, nonetheless, a big time 40-12 to 12 win for the Wildcats last Saturday against the Missouri Tigers. Yeah, absolutely left no question about who the better team was on Saturday. And uh, a nice uh, statement win for Chris Kleiman here as we enter year four. Uh, as I was sitting kind of in the Missouri, I, I mean, so we were, I was sitting with uh, my wife's folks and, and we were watching the game kind of in the, in the south end zone. And there were some Missouri fans scattered throughout, of course. I'll have to ask you, did you did you get any kind of offhanded comments maybe from some Missouri folks as they were as they were heading for the exits there about midway through the third quarter? No, I uh, there was some there was a Missouri fan kind of above us who was jawing quite a bit early in the game. Uh, especially on the first drive when they were converting, you know couple third downs or something that was feeling pretty uh proud of his tigers but uh he ended up moving sections a little bit later and and that was the last uh we heard from him but uh so no i i can't really say that i had a bunch of uh cocky missouri fans or whatever john in my i i had a couple despondent missouri fans uh just make the comment as as they were leaving to uh to have fun in the mountain west Okay, and you know what? If we, you know, I don't think we're gonna go to the Mountain West, but I mean, I'll have fun there. I appreciate that uh, that comment. So, worst worst place, sour, worst, sour grapes. Worst places to travel than uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, but uh, anyway, a dominating forty to twelve win for K State against the Missouri Tigers. Let's turn the page here and look at at, at K State's uh, Week Three contest against the Tulane two, Green Wave. A team that uh, is also coming in here to uh, to Fort Snyder two and zero. And for Tulane, they probably played maybe the two worst teams in, in college football. It's possibly. hard to imagine two a softer schedule through two games than what Tulane's played. And no offense to uh, any UMass fans or Alcorn State fans that may be listening to this. Yeah, we, we've podcast. done it now. Our, our inbox is just going to be full of, of yeah. Minutemen. Uh, Frank Martin, basketball coach there now. That's right. So... Uh, but anyway, this this team's coming in here. They they rolled uh, forty two to ten over UMass, and then pitched a shutout last week, fifty two to nothing against Alcorn State. 
You know, this is a team last year went two and ten, uh, had a had the highlight of their season in week one, uh, giving Oklahoma all that they could handle uh, in Norman, losing that one 40-35. But, you know, this this Tulane team brings back a lot of experience, uh, returning nine starters on offense, nine starters on defense, and is a team in the American that really I feel like when you look at their prognostication, should be one fighting for a, a bowl appearance here as we get into late November. Uh, you know, not a, not necessarily a, a, um, a, a team that you can just, you know, throw your helmet out, of course, and win, and definitely by no case there, but uh, a team that uh, should be a, a solid test for K-State in terms of what they're going to see offensively, because with what they've done against, you know, weak competition through their first two weeks, uh, has been an offense that's put up some points and will give K-State some challenges in terms of what they do offensively. Yeah, and I think that they... I don't think the film study is going to be all that different than what K-State had against Missouri in terms of what they try to do offensively. It's a lot of operating out of four wide receiver sets, out of the gun, and implementing a lot of uh, RPO concepts. Yep. And... Uh, they do have some. They do have a sure-handed quarterback, like we thought. You know, like I think Missouri does, but sure. I think you're a little bit higher on Missouri than I am, but that's fine. But uh, and I'm certainly, I'm probably the only person left in the country who still thinks Brady Cook is uh, a capable option here for Missouri. I, I think he's capable. Um, us too. Yeah. Well, okay, the two of us. But uh, a guy who is a little bit um, of just kind of a balanced. Uh, quarterback. I hesitate to call either Brady Cook or uh, uh, Michael Pratt true dual threats. I mean, they're dual threat in the same sense that Skylar Thompson's a dual threat. Yeah. A, a guy who, you know, can run, and they, they'll design some runs around, but he's not Michael Bishop. Okay? No. Um, and so, that said, they, they do have some athletes on the outside who, who certainly carved up Alcorn and UMass, and uh, is going to be a little bit of a test for this K-State defense, but one I think that they're capable of uh, meeting. Um, but I think their running game is not particularly impressive. They're leading rusher through two games. Um, only has... Uh, it was uh, like 83 yards, and it was a, it's a guy that is uh, a true freshman for the Green Wave. Yeah, Isaiah uh, Iverson Celestine. Yes. Well, that's quite a name. Quite a name. No relation to Allen that I've been able to find. Okay. But, uh, you know, 89 yards. I mean, they, but they, one thing I would say about uh, Tulane is they, they really run with probably two running backs, Celestine and uh, Spears. I would say they are very similar into in what, to, to, you know, add to your point, so to speak, with what they like to do offensively in the running game. A lot of jet sweep uh, action and kind of getting the ball out there. That way, the extension of their running game uh, is essential. I mean, you may as well call the, sw- the swing passes or, or the little screen passes out to the wide receiver. You may as well call those runs. So you're going to see some wide receivers get the ball in the jet sweep and, and implementing them into the running game. So kind of similar to, I think, what Missouri was hoping to do uh, before before the conditions got to what they were. Uh, so – I think this will be a decent test for K-State uh, to kind of, uh, you know, see that a little bit because you're going to see that also with, 
with what you see in the Big 12 with, with TCU and, and Texas Tech and, and others, of course, to name a few. But uh, really, this, this offense, you, you kind of look at Michael Pratt as the, as the key to slowing him down. A, a guy that's played you know, a fair amount of football, uh, started last year, uh, had 21 touchdowns to eight interceptions, honorable mention, American uh, Athletic Conference quarterback last year. So a guy that's a, a capable quarterback and is a guy that um, really w- with what K-State's going to do, it's going to be focused on slowing slowing that uh, offense down. Yeah, and, and what what, um, what Tulane wants to do offensively is is show enough of the running game to, to keep you honest and, and get guys like uh, Celestine and Spears, uh, their touches, which um, each has 17 carries so far this year. But I really think where where their offense can cook is kind of in that vertical passing game um, out of RPO concepts, hitting guys in the seam downfield and creating some soft spots, finding those soft spots in the zone to really exploit uh, people paying attention to the uh, play action. So uh, it's it's a lot of what we talked about last week. It's it's going to be our linebackers being disciplined and, and monitoring and taking up space there in the middle of the field, uh, being aware of, of all the RPO nonsense that really just puts the linebackers on kind of an uncomfortable island in the middle of the field. Um, but that's kind of what we expected out of Missouri, too, in, in case State was obviously able to handle that in the rainy conditions. But uh, going to be better conditions for both offenses on Saturday. So... Uh, K-State linebackers better uh, bring their lunch pails. You know, one thing I want to mention, too, with Tulane offensively, best offensive lineman for them, Sincere Hainsworth at, at, at the center position. Uh, Tyrick James also as a uh, tight end, second team, All-American uh, by Phil Still here as we get into uh, his 2020 preseason, all, uh, 2020 preseason American team. Uh, I really look at this as an opportunity for this K-State defense to, to get some more guys into the, into the action. You talk about what I mentioned earlier with the rainy conditions and, and the breaks and stoppages uh, that took place against Missouri. Maybe not as much of a chance to get as many guys in as they would have liked to against Missouri. I think that that option should be available for K-State on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel a little uh, strange coming into this one because – you know, the line now is what fourteen and a half. Yeah, you know, let me look here. So I think it opened up close to twenty or like nineteen and a half or so, and then it sunk like a rock. Yeah, now down to fourteen. Uh, at most recent check, I think maybe there are some thirteen and a halfs out there as well. Uh, let's get into the kind of the the spot that K State finds themselves in, right? Yeah, coming off a big win against Missouri. Got that game next week against Oklahoma, but we're not looking ahead to that yet. But, we're not. But maybe the odds makers think that K-State's looking ahead to that game. Maybe. And you know what? I, and I said this to you before we got started here tonight. In terms of non-conference games like this, K-State has really pretty much took care of business. It, it, the only game that you can point to that, that is not the case is Arkansas State. And that during COVID, throw that, throw that year out. Uh, Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois quarterback injury. K-State rolls in that game. It, it, other, otherwise, if Skylar Thompson's available. Yeah, so out of the 
eight or nine. You're not being fair. Laughers. You're not being fair. The K State was supposed to have in the climbing era. Uh, if you ignore the two that are close for various reasons, then yeah, K State's been uh, pretty nails throughout these. I don't think you're being fair, Dell. Well, I uh, I get your point that that when everything goes great, uh, K State uh, has been able to handle these teams. But I don't necessarily think it's a complete given that... Uh, now, to your credit, Nevada last year. Nevada. I mean, this, this is kind of that same spot, right? Where it's, you know, not the FCS team. It's, it's the group of five team. Uh, because K-State has a little bit of a pattern here and they're out of conference schedule, right? You get the one FCS game, whether it's Southern Illinois or South Dakota. You get the Power Five team, which is... Stanford, Mississippi State, Missouri. And then you get kind of that, that G5 opponent who's not a world beater, but it, it's not, it hasn't been New Mexico State either. Yeah. It, it's a, it, I would say, you know, it, Tulane's a bowl caliber team. A middle-of-the-road American team that is going to be fighting for a bowl towards the end of the season. Sure. And, you know, nothing to, you know, shake a stick at necessarily. I, I don't know what they rate out in, like, S&P Plus, but probably of mid-70s. Uh, low 60s kind of team. So just kind of a middle-of-the-road uh, G5 team, really, essentially, with, with where that ranks out. But an opportunity, I think, with, with what you see with that betting line is, you know, odds makers think, oh, maybe maybe it's an opportunity for K-State uh, to be looking ahead towards uh, conference play uh, against what is a, a, a serviceable two-lane team coming in uh, where maybe they don't have their full attention. I don't have those concerns at all. I, I don't either. I mean, I, I look at, and that's what spooks me a little bit because I feel like I'm missing something. But I just don't think Tulane has, has the athletes in the box to really stop uh, or slow down K-State's running game. I mean, even Missouri, you look at them and you think, okay, these, these guys are, you know, decent on paper. They have two defensive ends who might be playing on Sundays here in a couple of years. Um I don't. I don't know that Tulane has those guys, uh, and offensively, I, I don't think they have the the same firepower as a guy that you know, like Luther Burton, for instance, where you think, okay, this guy, somebody who has the potential to completely take over the game. Um, now, clearly, I'm underestimating Tulane in some respect, uh, based on on the odds makers and and. You know, even like S and Plus has this as like a fifteen point game, but um, so I don't, I don't totally know what I'm missing here. Well, what I, they, maybe they they hung with OU last year. They did. Now, granted, that was a funky second half comeback where sure. a lot of things went wrong for Oklahoma, but they were right there. I mean, thirty five to forty. You know, I want to point to a couple of guys. Shea Wyatt is probably their big play wide receiver. And you mentioned, I mean, in the game that I watched against Alcorn State, he, he gets a couple deep passes there, you know, in blown coverage, essentially. And good passes. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, don't get me wrong. I mean, Michael Pratt, he can make the throws. And this is a guy who's now, he's a third-year starter. So, we compare him to Brady Cook, who's, who played his first true road game on Saturday. But... So Michael Pratt's been around the block. He's played a lot of football for Tulane, and I don't think that the atmosphere is going to intimidate him. He played in Norman last season. Um, and so the, the bright lights and big stage and, and a mean power five defense isn't going isn't to spook him too much. 
But I just don't know that they have the ancillary pieces that are going to make K-State's defense uh, give them much of a problem. You know, you mentioned a little bit you don't really have too many concerns about their defense being able to slow uh, Kansas State down. And I, I look here with what, um, with what they did last year uh, from a yards per play perspective. 5.8 yards per play given up. I mean, that's pretty rough. Uh, I will say this. Uh, last year... Uh, In the second half of the season, Tulane was second in the American in in terms of total defense, so they did get better. They do return a lot of guys on that defense here as they get into the the 2022 season, but it's impossible to really tell anything from their first two games. I mean, they they played as soft of cupcakes as you can find. And so this will be their first real test. Uh, K-State uh, a little bit more battle-tested, obviously, from what we saw last year and then obviously with the Missouri game. Um, but, I, I mean, I can't see K-State being slowed down too much by this by this two-lane defense. Um, I, I think this is a game that K-State wins comfortably. I agree. I think uh, I think so long as nothing crazy happens, uh, I think K-State should be able to impose their will both offensively and defensively. I mean – you know, we talked about uh, Michael Pratt having played a lot of football for Tulane. I don't know that he's ever faced a defense as good as K-State's this year, um, which is saying something because he played Cincinnati last year. Yep. Um, and so, now, that's a – he also got blown out by Cincinnati. Yep, too. they did. And so all that said, I, I think K-State uh, should just be able to outclass Tulane here. Um, I'll be surprised if the uh, if Tulane can uh, beat the point spread because uh, I think the point spread's frankly too low. To be honest, I thought twenty and a half seemed a little low. Yeah. Um, but if if things go like I expect them to on Saturday, K State should uh, should win pretty comfortably. Some quick numbers: Tulane zero uh, and two straight up in one and one against the spread versus Big Twelve foes since twenty seventeen. So, uh, there, there are a lot, both games against uh, the Sooners. Uh, so, not maybe the best team to pick. <laughs> All right, I guess if you're uh, if you're a Tulane Green Wave uh, supporter, but let's go ahead and get into predictions here, Dell. What do you, what do you got for me? Well, here's where I think the X factor is on Saturday. K State's got revenge on the mind. They do. These two teams have met once before on the gridiron. K State came out on the losing end back in 1988. That's right. And if you don't think these kids remember that and want to go out and get some vengeance for alma mater, you're dead wrong. Uh, Offensively, I think K-State, maybe this is a take, I think K-State still keeps the passing passing game a little bit under wraps. Uh, I think we see a lot of Deuce Vaughn. I think he has his biggest yardage game of the season so far this week against Tulane. Um, And I think K-State... Shows a little bit in the passing game, but nothing, you know, I don't think K-State's going to pull out all the stops here. Um, defensively, I think I think the uh, the athletes are too much for uh, Tulane. I think uh, Michael Pratt, good quarterback, wouldn't shock me if, if one or two uh, got loose there over the middle of the field on the RPO stuff, but not enough. Uh, I think K-State wins this game handily, 45-13. to 13. Easy victory for the Cats. Yes. In decisive fashion. I like it. I like it. Um, 
I'm glad you brought up the the revenge angle factor. I think that that's something that's maybe not being calculated. That gets lost. That gets lost. You know, all these eggheads out there who have their computers and their and their algos, and far be it for me to criticize algos. Yeah, I was gonna say that's but that's uh, but these eggheads just don't quite understand the intangibles. And in the intangible in this game, revenge. Parishes vengeance. That's right. Pretty good old stand. Yeah. Uh, so I like K State in this game as well. I don't think that's a surprise. Uh, and I, I like it kind of similar to you. I'm going 41 10 Kansas State. Yeah. Where are they getting this 14 points from? Maybe maybe we should go take out high interest uh, credit cards and, and go go crazy here. I got a second mortgage on the house. Yeah. I was going to say maybe that's what I need to be doing. Maybe I need to call my, my mortgage lender and say, hey, I need. You know, a little bit here for uh, for K State Tulane this Saturday. Hey Doug, it's Chris. <laughs> you got a, yeah, you haven't heard from me in a while. <laughs> got a juicy line. Yeah, you, you want to get in on it? You know, I mean, just, <laughs> yeah. hey, they're all they're all uh, they're all about looking for some business there. So, uh, you know, and I I do think this is an opportunity though for K State, and this is where maybe we differ in, in our our uh, little rundown here. I like Adrian Martinez to go over two hundred yards passing. I like it. I whatever different ways to skin the cat. I just I just think that. If K-State can get through the out-of-conference without teams having any idea what K-State's passing offense looks like, i say great. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. But also, you're, just the, the curiosity of me is like, well... It makes us nervous to, as fans. To, yeah, once we get to conference play, like, what do we, uh, what do we have shaking here? It would be one thing if, if Adrian Martinez was a relative pup. And you, that gives me that gives me some comfort there. And you just don't know if it's kind of that Will Howard effect where he can do it all in practice, but you get him out there on Saturday and he just goes nuts and he, he freaks out and he just can't quite handle the moment. But Adrian Martinez, I mean, he's been playing college football like big time college football for this five years now. Yeah. And so this he's seen the bullets fly. Okay. Yes. And so. While selfishly, I would like to know that K State can stretch a field if they need to and, and complete and put up 200 yards passing if the if the game calls for it, I have confidence that that's there. Um, you know, we we know the scheme is there. I mean, we we saw the LSU game. We know Adrian Martinez is can pass the football. We've we've seen that enough, uh, and we know that the. Malik Knowles and Philip Brooks can catch the ball okay. Um, and Sammy Wheeler and, and, and whatever else. Uh, I just don't need to see that this week if, if the situation doesn't call for it. Yeah. So I, I think my hunch is is that we'll, we'll see another pedestrian passing attack uh, from K-State and that'll be the talk of the message boards and you know, the newspaper and, and the guys previewing the K-State-Oklahoma game is, can this K-State offense pass the football? But I think Colin Klein is uh, playing this close to the vest and uh, kind of taking a page out of Bill Snyder's playbook where if you don't have to tip your tip your hand to the opponent, to the big opponent here uh, down the road, then, then what's the point? Because the secret's out on Deuce Vaughn. Yeah. Uh, defenses know what to expect out of K-State's run game. It's it's a lot of news Vaughn. It's using him in different concepts. It's a lot of quarterback power, and it's jet sweep action. But 
the passing concepts for K-State are still a little bit of a mystery to the fan base, which makes us a little self-conscious and paranoid. But they're also a mystery to defensive coordinators. Yep, and so, absolutely. Uh, if, if we can keep Venables kind of scratching his head uh, throughout uh, for another week, then I think that that uh, only serves to benefit K-State. I like it. Win I'll, the game. Win the game, and we'll go on to the next one. Well, I think that wraps it up here for the Missouri Review and Tulane Preview. Uh, we'll take a quick break here on the Short Side Option Podcast, and we'll be back with another installment of this week's Wildcat Legend, and also answering your questions in our Ask the Icon segment. Join us after a quick break. All right, welcome back to the Short Side Option Podcast. And Before we get into this week's Wildcat Legend and answering your questions in our Ask the Icon segment, I want to give a shout out. We Promises made, promises delivered here on this one. Uh, sent out a little tweet on, on Saturday morning, as I like to do, uh, getting folks' uh, predictions here for the K-State game. And this week, Matthew Scar at MTHWSKR on Twitter. He predicted 38-17 Kansas State. Wow. And he was closest uh, to, the, uh, to the total there. Uh, probably helped out a little bit there by a late touchdown by Missouri, if memory serves me correctly. Uh, but Matthew Scar, he is your winner of this week's heartfelt congr- congratulatory shout-out on, on the episode of the Short Side Option Podcast. Remarkable. Absolutely. Great prognostication there by Matthew. Yeah, absolutely. Give him uh, a hooray. Absolutely legendary there for Matthew. And, and we encourage you all season to, to follow along with us and, and give us those score predictions because – Get some more heartfelt shout-outs from the icon. Yeah, I mean, what else could be better? Put that on your LinkedIn. Yeah, so D'Lo, with that legendary uh, score prognostication there by Matthew, I hand it over to you to highlight another in the long line of Wildcat Legends. Yes, icon. Uh, we're going to get into our segment uh, of the show now that we call This Week's Wildcat Legend. And icon, this week's Wildcat Legend hails from Miami, Florida. Dade County. Dade County, went to Miami Springs High School, played in 2013. Okay. Offense. Got it. His father's Robert. His mom, Evelyn. Okay. Have any guesses? Not yet. He has one sister. Got it. It's locked in. You must be talking about Robert Rose. I'm talking about Robert Rose. Maybe not the original diminutive K-State running back, but certainly uh, uh, was one. <laughs> yeah, no question. No question about that. Uh, clocking in at only uh, 5'4", 176 pounds. The Rose uh, Show. The Rose Show. That's right. Uh, as I said, uh, the son of Robert and Evelyn Rose... Brother to one sister. Uh, he prepped at Miami Springs High School. He was a 2006 All-Dade 6A to 4A honorable mention pick uh, by the Miami Herald there in high school. Yeah. Uh, but got his start to K-State. I uh, saw action in the Texas game. Didn't record any statistics there at his true freshman season. Uh, but really uh, made his uh, burst onto the scene in 2011. Uh, which was also Colin Klein's burst onto the scene there. Sure was. 
Uh, he appeared in four games that season, gaining 35 yards on a total of nine carries. Uh, carried five times for 29 yards, including an 11-yard carry against Kent State. Um, also saw three runs for uh, five yards against Miami. Hometown. Oh, Hocum. Yeah. That's right. In 2012, uh, Rose played in three games. He rushed four times for nine yards, had a carry for two yards against Missouri State, and rushed three times for seven yards against, you guessed it, Miami. Uh, but 2013 uh, is where he really uh, shined. That year, he was uh, the primary backup for John Hubert. He saw time in seven games that year, scoring two career touchdowns, uh, one against UMass, one against Iowa State. We talked to you about UMass a little bit earlier. Uh, one of two lanes, first two opponents. And UMass was uh, Robert Rose's piece de resistance of his career, really the filet of his time at Kansas State. He registered a career-high 39 yards against UMass and helped K-State earn their first bowl victory in 11 years. Uh, in 2013. Yeah, big-time big win against the uh, Michigan Wolverines. That's right. Um, and so, what can you say about Robert Rose? A legend, obviously, as, as we've detailed. It, you know, a guy that uh, you know spent a lot of good time here at Kansas State, uh, primarily in a backup role, but uh, was a popular guy on the team I know, well-liked, and uh, you know played an important part uh, on some of K-State's uh, really talented teams there in uh, Snyder 2.0. Yeah, and, and he was behind, uh, you know, an all-conference running back, of course. Uh, yeah, with John Hubert. With John Hubert. So maybe didn't get to quite showcase all he could do uh, playing behind John Hubert, but certainly a guy K-State could count on, uh, especially in 2012 and 2013. Um, and got some action in there against uh, the Miami Hurricanes back in the early part of his career. Um, and so he's rumored fondly. The Rose Show... Uh, by Kansas State fans, um, first time on the field, and and really it's 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 that why uh, Robert Rose is this week's Wildcat legend. The Rose Show lives on. That's right. That's right, and he's immortalized as a Wildcat legend here on the Short Side Option Podcast. Well, now Icon, we're going to get into our final segment of the show, a segment we call Ask the Icon, where listeners can submit their questions to the Short Side Options very own Chris the Icon Sork, and he will answer them. You know what? You ask him a question, and right here on the short side option, every single week he does this. It's, I, I, I do it every week. It's incredible. Yeah, we're all privileged. I'm privileged to be sitting here uh, watching it, reading the questions, um, but we're all privileged to hear him answer. Uh, and, and, you know, D'Lo, you, you kind of, I mean, you hit that nail on the head in, in an earlier tweet today when you said, come on, what do you got for the icon? You ask a question, he'll answer. That's how it works. Yeah, it's, it's, it's as simple as that, folks. Yeah. Just ask about K-State football. Ask about what you have for lunch today. I don't know. He'll, he'll give you his two cents. Ham sandwich. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Chips. Diet Coke. What, what else you got for me? <laughs> That's right. Simple as that. He's, he's, I'm, you, should, you should really see the icon here when I, when I start going down this path. He, he actually starts salivating. That ham sandwich I had to do was tremendous. <laughs> I, I have to be honest. Had some leftover, like this corn, tomato, uh, basil salad. Unbelievable. Yeah. Terrific stuff. Absolutely. Um, and uh, listeners can submit their questions to the short side option by tweeting them at us at TSSO underscore podcast. 
or by, of course, using the wildly popular hashtag AskTheIcon, or um, if you know somebody that works with either one of us, uh, you want to write a note on a piece of paper and have them pass it to us like uh, like it worked in middle school, go ahead and do it. Yeah, that works. That works, too. Our first question this week comes from listener Todd at TGVis. Todd asks, Icon, first time, long time. My neighbor Terry, a D-minus source, told my family to arrive at least three hours earlier than normal due to road closures. Because it's two-lane hate week, Manhattan has decided to bottleneck down all roads to one lane. Huh. Are you hearing the same? I've, I've heard the same, and I, I'm glad that Todd gives us this... Uh... That, that gives us this uh, this rundown here on the Short Side Option podcast. You talk about not looking ahead. Yeah. You, know, you talk about, hey, that big game next week, conference opener. No. No. It, it's two-lane hate week. Everything's one lane in Manhattan, folks. It seems a little overboard, frankly, that but the Kansas is, DOTs, you know. But this is what sometimes you have to do to keep things focused. You know, a lot of hubbub. This week about uniforms. And I think that we get into that a little bit later. But to keep everyone focused here, it's one lane. And that one lane is a big-time victory over two-lane on Saturday. I love it. Uh, thank you, Todd. Next question comes from listener Trim at Trim Go Ema. Trim asks, Today is the last day of New York Fashion Week, and it's been no different in the Little Apple. When much of K-State Nation's attention is stuck on uniforms... What does the icon do to stay locked in on what matters? Any tips for fans, players? Great question. I, I've heard some rumor, some rumors about new uniforms on Saturday. Um, I've really been paying attention. Have you? Oh, I've I've been paying very close attention. Oh, you're on that drip, dude. I'm all about icy. Most here's how I rank it: drip, icy, clean. That's the order of importance. Yeah, I would say drip clean icy, actually. Okay. We differ a little bit there. Yeah. But you have to have all three. And uh, K-State's unveiling some new helmets. Wife looked down. She says she doesn't like them. She thinks they're stupid. And, you know, she, you know, that's more of her thing. That's not so much me. I don't, I don't really have a preference on it. But to answer Trim's question, it is important that we keep, you know, we keep what's most important in mind. And... That's that's what takes place on the field, and the way you get to do that is is the only way I know how to, and that's just watching copious amounts of all twenty two. That's all I do. That's it. All twenty two footage. I know the coaches. I know the players are doing that. I implore the fans to be breaking down that film action, and uh, you know, let's stay away from all these you know the silly stuff. Focus what goes on on the field. That's what's all about. Great question and a great answer there from the icon. Thank you to Trim. Uh, next question comes from listener SteveZ60 at SLK on Twitter. Here's a couple. There's a twofer for the icon. First, twofer. Someone calling 776-5577. Right now, somebody's calling 776-5577 for the first, first time. time. Love it, baby. Love it. Love it. Got that? Got it. Now, I'll say one thing. No shuttle drop for me, brother. Oh, I'll shuttle drop for the both of us. Oh, no way, Jose. I, I, I want it. I want all of. I want all of uh, pizza shuttle and all of its and all of its glory, grease and all. 
I see. I think piece of shovel in all its glory includes the shovel drop. I think the shovel drop is implied. Ooh, well, agree to disagree. Uh, shout out to our boy D. Just total baller. The institution. The institution. Uh, Steve, his first question is: If Adrian Martinez, Deuce Vaughn, Daniel Green, and King Felix were 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 Quentin Tarantino movies, which ones would they be? All right, so tough to answer because I don't know if any of those guys really have a great tie in here. But uh, you ask a question, I'll answer it. Yeah, and that's how this that's, thing works. That's you can't punt this. No sir, no sir. Uh, We'll start with Adrian Martinez. I have to go with Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2. Oh, both. You know why? Why? He's been in college the longest. It's a long movie. And I love yeah. that movie. Well, and it was originally only going to be one. one yeah, th- and they had to like talk Tarantino. Like, like, hey man, this is going to be like a six-hour movie. Like, you can't do that. And I was like, I would have been all in for that. Yeah. So, uh, Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2 for Adrian Martinez. Deuce Vaughn, likable guy. Doesn't seem, really seem like a Tarantino. Uh, you know that, that doesn't really fit the bill for him, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I'll have to go with the Hateful Eight for that one. And the reason why I say that is, you know, for right or wrong, probably got teased a lot about his hype. Yeah. Hey, Pipsqueak. Hateful. Hateful. What else can be said? Good a reason as any. Daniel Green. Big imposing guy. Him and Keen Felix. I'm actually going to put the same movie for, for both of them. I look at Jamie Foxx. Django Unchained. Yeah. Guy just is going out there and creating havoc out there. Similar to how they do on the defensive side of the ball. See where I'm going with this? Yeah. Jamie Foxx. Michael Bishop's first cousin. Wow. How about that? See, I have one for Daniel Green. What's that, Del? Reservoir Dogs. Mr. Green. Reservoir Dogs? Yeah, he's Mr. Green. That's a great call there, Del. Thanks. I was uh, but using myself there. Yeah, Daniel Green, he, he's Mr. Green and Reservoir Dogs. Have you ever seen the uh, how, why they named it that? No. It was because Quentin Tarantino went into like a like a... A movie store. Like, this is back, like, in the days when of movie Blanco. stores existed. Yeah, back, it's hard to believe. Uh, but uh, he was asking for something, and I can't remember, you know, what he was asked for. But Milk the, duds. But the guy that was, you know, working the county, he's like, I ain't got no reservoir dogs. And, and I don't know what the context was, but he's like, that's a great name for a movie. And that's what he went with. Yeah, I guess that movie doesn't really make it. That has title that has nothing really to do with no. the content of the film. Um, I like that. Hey, good job bringing that in there with uh, with Reservoir Dogs. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies, too. Because you never really know what's going on there. Yeah. As, as you don't in many Quentin Tarantino movies. And you know you know another good reason Daniel Green would be Reservoir Dogs? Why is that? Because he's in the middle of the field. Linebacker. Middle layer of the defense. Stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Famous man. Great, we're we're getting all the uh, we're making all the connections here on the short side option this week. Yeah, stay. Uh, maybe consider subscribing to our sister podcast, uh, the uh, the short side option movie podcast, where we break down uh, cinema in all of its nuance and all of its beauty. Yeah, yeah, I think it, I think we're calling it uh, the short side of the aisle. 
You know, like it's, I like to have a nice aisle seat when I go to movies. Yeah, yeah. Per, but not like all the way on the aisle, but like kind of close to the aisle. Yeah, absolutely. So something to something to keep an eye on. Um. Anyway, that was a great question, Steve. Your second question uh, from Steve comes. If you were ordering food from downtown Manhattan to be delivered to Manhattan Brewing Company, where do you order from? Great question. Uh, from downtown Manhattan? I'm going to have to go with AJ's Pizza. Love wow. a good slice. We, we just talked about... We just waxed about Pizza Shuttle for... But that's not downtown Manhattan. It delivers. It, they do deliver. But I believe the question was... If you're ordering food from downtown, from downtown Manhattan to be delivered to Manhattan Brewing Company. So we'll go either shuttle for pizza. Yeah, fair enough. Or, or AJ's you're right. Pizza. No, you're right. I should have read the... So that's how I read it. But then you know there's one place, and I think it's still open. I'm sure it is. That I loved. Tasty China House. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys... Were Those guys really... They live up to the name. It's always tasty. Yeah. They, they, they put Hunan out of business. I don't know about that, but I haven't been. I haven't got a chance to, to get down there and, and grab some Chinese food. I I always love Chinese food. Yeah, you always have. Always have. Always will. Uh, next question comes from listener a Joker a Shyster, if one will, at Ryan Jorger, uh, Ryan underscore Jorger, on Twitter. Uh, Ryan asks. What week of the season is the icon going to give up the Cowboys and bring me 24 cores yellow jackets? <sighs> kind of a rough week uh, for America's team on uh, kick off the uh, 2022 campaign. Yeah. Wasn't very good. Dak Prescott out for, now they're saying four weeks with, with his thumb injury. That remains to be seen how long he's going to be on the shelf. Now, the, uh, the bet I had with this individual was who will finish higher um, in the NFC Beast, NFC East for those playing along at home. Uh, the Eagles, his beloved team, or the Dallas Cowboys, my, my beloved uh, NFL team. And it, it's not looking good. Uh, Eagles, I don't think, are very good. They, they, they had to hold on for dear life against the Detroit Lions, rebuilding since 1957 you know, over there in, in uh, the Motor City. I don't give in. I never give up. What goal is that, Dell? Uh, I'd have to break out the... You'd have to break out your chart? Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I'm subscribing there to the 16 goals. I'm not giving up because I expect to win this bet still. And... Uh, Although it does look great, we're we're uh, we're we're hoping for a, a little bit of a turnaround here in week two against the Cincinnati Bengals. We're on to Cincinnati. Uh, goal number ten. Goal number ten. Hey, got a boy. Never give up. Never, never, never. And we're not giving up here. And we're also not giving up on uh, Ask the Icon because we have one more question left. This question comes from listener Tyler H at th eight underscore. Uh, Somebody that asks a lot of questions of the short side option. And, One of our finest. And this week is no different. Tyler asks, Icon, I know you occasionally like to place a friendly wager, which is now legal in Kansas. That's what we were just talking about. What's up with the short lines for KSU, minus 13.5, and, and OU, minus 10 this week? Big 12 get no respect? Now, you, in our preseason Big 12 prediction spectacular, you had the Huskers pulling one out. 
Yeah, I, I was a little higher on the Huskers than uh, than probably I should have been here um, through through three weeks for for Nebraska at this point. Um, so yeah, if I could go back, I, I feel a little bit better about OU's chances in this one. But who knows? Maybe the coaching change, maybe the shakeup. Players feel like they got a little chip on their shoulder. Who knows? Yeah, you know, it's a game I'm interested to see how that shakes out because I really. Um, that was a game I was anticipating here before the season started. Of course, where it falls on the schedule for OU, their last uh, non-conference game before uh, they welcome in Kansas State to Norman. You know, you look at what Nebraska's done through the first three weeks. They offensive offensively, they've looked pretty good. Uh, OU's defense much improved under Brent Venables. Tough to see Nebraska being able to pull the upset at home uh, there against the uh, the Sooners. I know uh, that one, that is kind of a game that that I think a lot of K State fans are going to be looking at, uh, you know, with with some interest. For for K State, we we kind of talked about it early. You know, now down to thirteen and a half or fourteen, depending on where you shop at. We don't really quite get it, do we? We we think it's a, a little bit of a. Uh, a slap in the face, if you will, to Kansas State. And uh, I expect both of these teams to take care of business and set up an undefeated showdown uh, in Norman next week. Um, yeah, I. Uh, wh- what do you make of OU's first half last week? Yeah, you know, that's the other thing, too, you bring up. They believe they uh, were ahead 7-3 to three at halftime against Kent State. And Kent State's a, n- a nice little team out of the MAC, probably. They were losing 3 to nothing with 18 seconds left in the half. So got a touchdown right before half to, to, yeah. to put themselves up going into the break. You know, it's a new staff. This is, you know, Oklahoma's first road game under Brent Venables. Tricky spot, I think, for OU. I, I mean, I can't imagine them losing this game in Nebraska. But if it's, you know, well within doubt going into the fourth quarter, that wouldn't be, the, be a shock to me. Uh, I, I think Oklahoma wins that game. Uh, probably covers that number uh, of 10 or, or 11, depending on where, where you look at and when you look at. But I don't know if there's anything in, in terms of disrespect to the Big 12 here. I think it's just kind of a odds makers maybe looking at, at, at a little bit of a, of a tricky spot going on the road for Oklahoma uh, with a new with a uh, going up against a team with a new coach. And I have my thoughts on who I think Nebraska should hire. So do I. I, I think there are a few guys. We can talk about that here. I'm second. going off the board for mine. He's not going to be on any any coaching search list, but it's a name the K-State fans will will have had a lot of familiarity with. All right. Greg Sharp, the voice of the Huskers. Yeah. I think that is who Nebraska should hire. Uh, spent a lot of time with with uh, with Bill Snyder, the legend. He knows how to turn around a program. I like it. Greg Sharp is a guy that would be at the top of my list if I was a Nebraska Cornhusker. That is a dark horse, but certainly an option. Um, one guy I think, uh, I think there are a host of guys who could do okay there. Um, but one guy that I think would be fun to have there. I know who you're going to say. Jamie Chadwell. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, his stock was probably as high as it's been last year. Uh, I know they had a weird game last week. I think they lost, um, but, uh, so I've been being the Jamie Chadwell drum all all week here, but I'm trying to pull up what Coastal did last week. The other name that's been getting a lot of traction, it's a pretty high-profile name, is Mark Stoops at Kentucky. 
Yeah, I just don't I, know I can't, that that's really a draw. And he's got that Kentucky program really running now. I mean, they go on the road and beat Florida. Uh, I mean, gosh, Kentucky's ranked in the, the top 15, top 10 in some polls. I don't know if he, he has the opportunity. You know, there was some stuff made about his uh, spat with Coach Cal uh, when, when Coach Cal saying Kentucky's a basketball school. And I don't think Mark Stoops necessarily appreciated that comment. You know, if you go to Nebraska, you are the show in town. You're the show in the state. And uh, it's all about Nebraska football. So it'll be interesting to see if that is, uh, you know, an allure for him to uh, to maybe take that job in Lincoln. But uh, for me, Greg Sharp's the guy. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, Coastal beat Gardner-Webb by four points on Saturday. So uh, maybe the Jamie Chadwell shine is starting to uh, fade a little bit. But... Now, quick note here. Chris Kleiman's also been in some of those conversations as maybe a potential candidate for, uh, for, uh, for the job for the big red, uh, you know, he, he had came out and he had a pretty, pretty strong comment saying, you know, I like it here at K state. My guy is Gene Taylor. That's, that's my guy. So the one thing that I would be a little bit worried about if I'm a K state man, I'm not worried about it really at all. I'll, I'll go ahead and say that, but you wonder how much of his allegiance is necessarily tied to Gene rather than K-State. That's all up for debate, but I don't think Chris Kleiman's going to be entertaining any offers. I think he's very happy here at K-State, and he's got a really good thing going. Yeah, and, and frankly, I think I'd be a little more concerned if uh, Kirk Ferentz retires and, and I was just kicking the tires on him. Um, but I, for a couple of reasons, I don't think he really makes a ton of sense at Nebraska. And I don't think Nebraska really makes a lot of sense for him other than just they could throw it back. I'll tell you what. I think, you know, that is going to be an interesting coaching search. You know, with what Nebraska's done recently, they've kind of had to settle for well, when they went and hired Mike Riley. You know, that was kind of a where did that come from hire. Uh, with Scott Frost, was obviously, you know, home, home run hire. You know, and, and everyone was um, – You can't really criticize Trev Alberts for – well, I, I think ball. at that point it was Bill Moose. Oh, know? really? And uh, but with Trev, Trev Alberts, you know, he's got a big decision to make, and, and thankfully it's uh, his to make, not uh, not uh, not a decision that uh, we're going to have to make here at Kansas State. Yeah, I'm I'm not too terribly concerned, but boy, it'd be fun to see kind of the modern um, Jamie Chadwell's kind of modern offense uh, at Nebraska. because I, I that's like my favorite offense. They, they have I, a fun style of play. It's neat. It is flat out neat. Um, one other guy who's been floated there, guy you really likes, Dave Clawson. Yeah, I do. Um, the slow mesh. Oh man, that's. Uh, and that was a guy that when the legend retired, that was a guy I was wanting us to. You were. I got to give you credit. I, I got to be fair. And I got to give you credit. You've been on. You've been. Singing Dave Clawson's praises since like 2017. And yet, the thing too about Dave Clawson, and you thought we'd get here on the, this episode of the Short Side Option, but we're going to go there. Do you remember that WikiLeaks story? No. The, so. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So the, it was essentially. I thought you said WikiLeaks, and then I was like, what is he? What does Julia Assange have to do with WikiLeaks? Yeah. What's going on? I remember on? that little scandal. Yeah. So for those that are uninitiated to that, um, essentially, I'll, I'll, I'll put it here in K-State terms, and it's very similar in, in terms of the guy's pedigree. The, uh, the color commentator for, um, for Wake Forest Radio, longtime radio voice uh, or uh, broadcast voice uh, of the, uh, the Demon Deacons, 
played football there, was even a member of the coaching staff at one point as, as, a, uh, as a position coach. Now goes up to the booth, and he is essentially feeding inside information to opposing staffs about what the game plan is going to look like and essentially sabotaging what Wake Forest is trying to do offensively. And you hear some of the comments from coaches, players at that time from Wake Forest. It was like, these teams that we're playing against, like, we're either giving away something or they are doing a great job scouting us because, like, they know what we're, we're trying to do. They know some of our line calls. They know what our signaling system looks like. Like, there was something that was off. And then when that uh, bombshell came out that it was the color commentator for the radio broadcast that was providing this to uh, opposition, uh, quite the shock uh, that goes around college football. There. Did we ever get an explanation of what was going on? Was he getting paid? Um, he, if I remember correctly, he just had sour grapes because I, because he was, well, that's what happens when you don't hire the color commentator. Yeah. Cause he was, on, he was, and I don't think it was even being on the head coach. I think he just didn't have a great relationship with Dave Clawson and, and maybe had some sour grapes about how, you know, maybe he was treated as being a previous staff member before going up to the booth and uh, a very uh, odd story, but uh, one that he's been able to overcome. And Wake Forest has been a nice program here for the last couple of years. Yeah, they're they're rolling. They hear the top twenty here as we enter uh, college football week three. Uh, Dilu, anything else you want to mention here before we wrap this one up? No, other than uh, no, no, we can address that after this week. I, I am interested to see how KU looks this week. Yeah, you know, uh, they, they have a big big contest on the road in, in Houston uh, against a future Big 12 member. You keep kind of waiting for that shoe to drop with uh, KU football, uh, whether or not they're for real. Um, but we should uh, get some more knowledge one way or the other this week. Yeah, looking forward to another great week of college football. Schedule this week's a little bit leaner. I think some of the, the marquee games with, with Alabama, or not Alabama, with uh, Auburn, uh, going to Penn State maybe loses a little bit of luster, but the big one, Texas A&M, Miami, that, uh, with A&M dropping one to Appalachian State uh, last week. Uh, that game's in prime time, but uh, loses a little bit of luster as, as inexcusably A&M is still in the top 25. Yeah, I think it's a uh, pretty interesting game day is going to be at... Yeah, game day is going to be at App State for their matchup against Troy. Which I think, you know... Is poetic justice a little bit because everyone had that uh, A&M Miami game circled as the obvious choice this week for game day. A&M goes and gets their teeth kicked in against the uh, team from the Sun Belt, and now uh, game day is heading to the mountains of Appalachia. Should be a beautiful scene though for him. A be- beautiful Boone, North Carolina. That's right. One of my favorite country singers, Luke Combs, went to App State. I know a guy named Ben. Like that. There. How about that? Yeah. Well, folks, I'll do it here for this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. As I mentioned previously, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, the folks at Apple have, have made amends and got it figured out. But uh, for we haven't had any issues with Spotify or any of the other places we've got uh, that we distribute this podcast at with. So uh, hopefully those technical issues are, are far behind us. But uh, be sure to, uh, to follow us on Twitter to, to keep track of all of those uh, latest happenings, you can find us on Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast. Del, that'll wrap it up for us here on this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Thanks for listening, and go Cats!